Hello, and welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. That'll be me. So, I'm kind of liking this moving around and, and, and doing this because it gives me a chance to uh, take care of some business and also talk to you all about what's on my mind, especially about this particular president. If you don't like what I'm saying, but you're listening anyway, thank you. If you do like what I'm saying and you're listening, I really, really want to thank you. Uh, one particular person I wanted to give a shout out to is Angie Ray. Uh, she knows who she is. Uh, she, uh, she's been giving me love on Twitter, trying to get more people to pay attention to what I'm saying. And uh, I greatly appreciate that because brother needs all the help he can get. Uh, and trying to put this out here because this is not just about some guy who doesn't like the president ranting and raving. This is about somebody who really gives a damn about his country and is really tired of this dude, the charlatan, uh, acting as though he really cares about being president. Um... And I'm not alone. And that's that's part of the discussion today that we're going to talk about, right? Um, so, there's a trend happening. And the Republicans are trying to keep it under wraps because they don't want to sound any alarms. Because the ultimate goal of any political party is to have control, Right? Especially in Washington, the game, the, the thing is, you want to have control, the White House and the Congress, um, you know, and the state legislatures, you want to have control. That's really where the, the real work of American democracy takes place, is in the state legislatures, right? Um, most city governments are nonpartisan, but as far as... Um, dealing with policies that uh, you know are partisan driven legislatures are the laboratories and the United States Congress is supposed to kind of be the overreaching for the whole country right and a lot of their ideas come from local legislation state legislatures right um Whereas the concept was the House was supposed to be more volatile. They came up with most of the ideas. Um, and then the Senate is supposed to be the more uh, cerebral and collegial about it and work out the compromises, right? Um, to make whatever ideas that come out of the House practical. And of course, now we are in a situation where both houses pass each other's stuff. Anyway, you got the civics class. What, what I'm trying to get to is this. We, we're at a point now where the political parties are really trying to identify themselves. And it's always, I mean, that's always the case, right? There's always that challenge. On the Democratic side, you've always had the challenge of being the Big Ten, of being the party trying to incorporate everybody, trying to be every man's party, right? 
and that's a challenge because there are some concerns that you know put a lot of weight compared to um, other groups you know at one point the black community had big sway once they kicked down the door in the Democratic Party right especially in the South and they still have a major part because they're black women are the largest demographic of Democratic voters the largest block right percentage wise for sure and then you have um, you have the Latino movement now and the Latino movement has always been kind of balanced based on what uh, country they originate from right their culture originates from if you're Cuba you tend to be more Republican if you're Puerto Rican you tend to be more Democratic and you know and then it just varies right it's kind of a mix Mexico is people of Mexican descent are kind of split right so I mean you know that's always been a battle so the Democrats have always tried to make a priority to get Latino votes as much as they can and that's about the only ethnic group well I take that back the Asian Pacific Islander ethnic group has been a major battle too um, the swing uh, votes the Chinese tend to be more Republican, the Japanese tend to be more Democratic Koreans are kind of split um, Vietnamese split but they're kind of leaning Democratic now, they had been leaning Republican I mean it's just based on because it's culture right? because a lot of these cultures it all depends on what administration interacted with them the most right you know, you know how that goes. So there's always, the Democrats have always had a, a, a battle with identity and big, and then of course dealing with social issues. So you get the women's movement in there, you get the LGBTQ movement in there. Uh, you know, in addition to the African-American stuff. I mean, it's just, the Democrats have always, and then you've always had these, the, the liberals as opposed to the moderate progressives you know, it's varying stages of folks thinking ahead, right? Some are like, go for it. And other folks are kind of like, slow down, dog. It's just, it's, you know, it's kind of stick your toe in the water first before you jump in, right? <laughs> we all going in the water just with pace. That's kind of the Democratic Party's problem. And it's even right now. I mean, you got 20-something people running for president of the United States. You, you've got different ideologies and strategies going on. Of course, the numbers are dropping now. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand's gone. Um, so, and she was, she was a credible person that just didn't get any traction. And, you know, is what it is. Right? You got a lot of quality people running. People got to lose. So there's that. And there'll be more. I mean, the debate now field is going to be 10 people. So, yeah, it's, it's going to dwindle down. I think there's some folks who are going to ride out the attrition strategy and uh, just hopefully gain support by 
other people dropping out before them, right? But for the most part, not so much. <laughs> but that's okay. It's all right. But that's that's the Democratic deal, right? On the Republican side, we have seen a major transformation. For those of us in our age group, uh, the first presidential election we ever voted in um, was Bush versus Dukakis. That was our first one. So we grew up in the Reagan era, right? And that's really when the Republican Party, as we know it now, came to full bloom. Well, up until Donald Trump, right? It was the party of Reagan, as people used to refer to it all the time. A lot of politicians that you've heard of now, uh, or old politicians like Pat Buchanan and Haley Barber and all them guys, that's where they got their start from. They were like speechwriters for Ronald Reagan, right? So, I mean, this this whole, that group has come full circle, their kids, grandkids, nephews, all these folks, right? They, it seems as though that era is over. And so now we've become the party of Trump, the Republicans have, we should say. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a problem for some folks. It's a problem for a lot of folks in the Republican Party, right? So much so that some numbers were thrown out. And, and people doing the statistical analysis figured out that nearly 40%, nearly 40% of the Republicans in the House that were in there prior to Donald Trump getting elected are either no longer there or the ones that are there out of that 40% are not running for re-election in 2020. So by 2020, 40%, nearly 40% of those Republicans that were in office when Donald Trump was running for president are not in office anymore or won't be in office by 2021. 40%. That includes the only black that was in the House that was a Republican. It uh, includes several women where the number by 2021, I think, is going to go below 13. I think it's at 13 now, and I know the lady from Alabama is not running. I'm sure somebody else. And so... That number's going to drop. So, you know, aesthetically, the Republican Party is literally becoming, or the, under the under Trump, is literally, literally becoming the white male party. Right? And at least the visual in Congress. Right? And, and, uh, You know, it's just it's just a, it's just people time. I mean, you had some Republicans lose. Um, you had thirty Republicans lose in the midterm election. 
and 34 have said they're not running for re-election in 2020. That's 64 right there. So basically a total of 93 Republicans since 2016 are no longer or will not be in office by January 2021. 93. And then we're reminded, like with the former Defense Secretary Jim Mathis, uh, who stepped away and has written a book and he's doing all these lectures and all that. Reminded about how many people have left the Trump administration during this time. And and a lot of these guys were either staunch military guys, had Republican leanings, but of course in the military you don't really throw that out there. Uh, or, you know, just some rock rib Republicans like Rice Priebus, for example, who started on the journey and try to get the president to be more traditional and it was just like yeah we gotta go you know and you've had some Republicans who were in Congress by the way who were appointed in the administration and then had to leave in disgrace and you had just some Republicans about at least four that just left in disgrace without getting an appointment to the president, right? And you got one guy, I still don't know how he got reelected, how he's in there trying to throw his wife under the bus. I think it's two of them like that. Right? Anyway, they'll probably be gone too. But, all I'm saying is, it's not a, it's not a happy camp on the RNC side, despite what our little cheerleader friend that's RNC chair is throwing out there on Twitter. Where they found her, God bless them, because she is a true believer. <laughs> it's no doubt about what she's believing what she's pushing. No question. Right? <sighs> However, Just because he pushed it doesn't make it true or make it right. Anyway, uh, outside of her, it's not really happy times at the RNC. If you're a party of Reagan, dude, or do that. <laughs> if you're if you're from that that group of folks, or subscribe to that philosophy of republicanism this ain't your era no more this is about Trumpism this is about me 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 and that's it Gordon Gecko has finally taken over the Republican Party from a political f- standpoint right I mean all of them are kind of Gordon Geckos from a financial standpoint but from a political standpoint, yeah, it's, it's Gordon Gecko time to RNC headquarters, and it's not sitting pretty with a lot of people who actually really give a damn about the Constitution and what it stands for. Now, there are some people that support Trump and claim that they 
believe in the Constitution and all that, and I, I just find that to be a contradiction. You can make a bigger argument if you were defending Mike Pence than you were than you are defending Donald Trump. To me. To me. But I'm not a fan of Mike Pence by any stretch. But I'm just saying. His crazy comes with credentials. <laughs> he comes with bona fides. He was the governor of a state. He was a member of the United States Congress. He ain't trying to turn himself orange. <laughs> you know, it, he's not about the vanity thing. He's one of them guys that's like, if you're a woman reporter, you got to have his wife in the room when you talk to him. He's that dude, right? And, uh, but his politics is the same as Donald Trump's, but he comes with cred. So that makes him more dangerous, right? That makes him more formidable. And to be honest, there's a lot of Republicans that are wishing, boy, if Mike Pence could be the nominee in 2020, we'd be in good shape. They're wishing that. Especially when they're looking at their 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 front their their titular leader numbers continue to drop, even in the subject matter that he's supposed to be the strongest in, which is the economy, right? So there's some defections going on. And uh, we'll see. There's some holes in that boat. They're trying to patch them so you won't see them sinking. That boat's sinking. And uh, if they want to fix it, I got a solution. Catch you on the other side. So, uh, welcome back. <laughs> so, you know, you know, I kind of gave a tease, right? You know what the other side is. You know what the solution is, right? On the other side about um, what to do. You gotta, you gotta vote this guy out, right? Yeah. Make some time. Make a change. First Tuesday, November 2020. You got you to gotta get this guy out. Now, you, if you're a Republican, you got a chance to get him out in a primary. You've got options. You got Bill Welch. You got Sanford, at least kind of, sort of. But you definitely got Joe Walsh. He's in. So you got an option. And Joe, Tea Party Joe. He's a Tea Party guy. So I don't know if he's... 
I don't know if you would like say he's Stokely Carmichael to Doctor to Doctor King, kind of. Like you know, he's 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 Ronald Reagan, Stokely Carmichael, kind of sort of. I mean, you know, the Tea Party dude. That was kind of tell. That's what transitioned into uh, where we're at now with Trump, right? And, and yeah, maybe that was a bad analogy because. I'm not trying to say it's Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture's leadership led to crazy black people being in charge. But it was a it was a shift, right? It was a shift in the direction that people were going. You had a new generation of black folks that decided the nonviolent marches, you had the rise of the Black Panthers during that time. So you had you had young people, Huey Newton and, and Bobby Seale and all them guys, Eldridge Cleaver, they 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 wanted a different approach, right? Same kind of mindsets as far as economic and social justice, but they weren't going to turn the other cheek. That was that was their mantra. That was the difference. It's a Black Panther Party for self-defense, right? So different so it's generational change is the, the point I was trying to get to even though a lot of people still identified with Dr. King then Carmichael was the new voice right the black power right and so the Tea Party was kind of like the new voice in the Republican Party right it was time to get more libertarian with it I pay any taxes at all, let alone tax increases, right? Now, there's a piece, there was a piece the New York Times, I think, put out. It's like 10-year anniversary of the Tea Party. And, um, you know, the I, there, there was, there's racial overtones in everything we do. Okay. So there's no doubt that the Tea Party embraced these same people. And see, and that's that's the problem. Of all the pariahs in society, why is it that the racist people are allowed to come in? I, I think of all the people that should be extracised, you know, uh, What's the term I want to use? Ostracized from society are the racist people, right? Now, you know, based on all of our experiences in education, that, that would cut a big swath, right? And all of us are, are guilty of being racist at some point or another in this American experience. But, you know, my thing is is that these these people have figured out a way to get into movements and keep all that vitriol alive all that invidious doctrine alive and i've never under, i've never understood the magic behind that right i've never understood how they've been able 
to continue to uh, to be successful like that. Because most people have some kind of background or experience or exposure to different things tend to be revulsed by it. Nonetheless, these folks keep popping up. And so, you know, the first thing people say about the Tea Party, well, they're racist people. Yeah, something will work. People say, well, you know, the Democratic Party, they were the racist ones. They were the ones that did slavery and all that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, the Republican Party, man, they, 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 you know, they're the ones that's been pushing this and pushing that. It's also true. The common denominator is, is that a group of people who believe in American institutional racism have been allowed to infiltrate these political entities. And at some point in time, the practice of American institutional racism has to stop. The, the, the comfort zone with it has to be decreased. I, it's, it just can't be tolerated anymore. It's the bottom line. That's where we are. It can't be tolerated anymore. Not if we want to move forward into the 22nd century. Right? If we want to, in the remainder of the 20th, we still got 80 years in the 21st century if we can get this right. Right? But we got to have an honest conversation. And we got to be straightforward with each other. And we got to and we got to call it like we see it. That this American institutional racism, this whole notion of white supremacy, white national, all that's got to end. Because what we're seeing now, nationalism is not just white. And that's, and that's dangerous. You know. But. It, it's gotten to the point, and I, and I want to address this too about the national, since I brought it up. So we talked a little bit last podcast about how this evil policy is kicked in now where the president is trying to kick out immigrants with medical conditions. These are not just regular medical, normal, but these are like chronic medical conditions. Cancer, cystic fibrosis, cerebral palsy, severe C epilepsy. I mean, you know, all these different kind of things, right? Unique diseases, short bowel syndrome, all these kind of things. The president's trying to kick these people out. And uh, they have less than a, they now probably have less than a month to get out, and hopefully the legal action will stop it. But there's another policy that's floating out there that now, if you are American and you're serving your country, and you have a child born overseas 
the Trump administration is trying to figure out a way where your child would not be automatically a citizen. So let me put it in perspective so people understand. John McCain, under this new proposal, would not be a citizen of the United States. Let's make it plain. John McCain was born to American citizens on foreign soil. Even more so. Barry Goldwater or anybody born in Arizona before 1912 <laughs> would not be a U.S. citizen under this policy. So all these military folks, right? You know, they marry they marry people they might be natives of that particular country or they have wives that they've married here in the United States, American citizens, and they bring them over to stay with them if they're stationed somewhere for X number, you know, their tours for X number of years, you know, and, uh, or assignments. And so they have kids. And so the general understanding was You were, uh, you were an American citizen by birthright, even though you physically were not born in the United States. If you were born on a military base, or you know, to military personnel or whatever the case may be, you're automatically a citizen. But now Trump wants to end that, right? What kind of spirit do you think that is? Seriously, what, what kind of spirit do you think that is? I mean, that's that's just that's that's as racist to the core as you can get, right? But people don't want to. People don't want to address that. And then when you call them out on it, they'll say that you're the one that's lying. <laughs> it's, it's a schoolyard game we're playing with this, this grown 70-plus-year-old man. I know you are, but what am I? Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that game? I know you are, but what am I? So, that's where we are. You know, you have people come on these these talk shows, which I'm kind of like with Soledad O'Brien now. Why even put these people on? Oh, why even? You might as well just that. What's that? Hotel, the Hotels.com commercial. You might as well get Captain Obvious just to do these shows I mean because that's where we are right now it's like 
you know, to say that the President of the United States is a liar is like saying the sun came out this morning. It's that routine. You know. He, he's, he's talking out of both sides of his neck. He's trying to please everybody and please, and pisses off everyone. You know, he's just, he's, he's a liar. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, boys and girls. He's a liar. And the people that are defending him and say that he's not a liar are liars too. Because you're lying when you say he ain't. And that's good. You know, you got to earn your check. Right? You want to say that the president's not a liar and he's paying you to say that? Knock yourself out. Then make it true. So we, 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 we've got to, we've got to, we've got to deal with this dude. And, um, I don't know how much more we can tolerate. I guess we've got till November 2020. But you're pushing it beyond that day. Right? I just, I just, I just really, I really want people to just sit back and observe what he's doing. I want people to realize the damage that he is causing on a daily basis. I really want you to parse what he's saying. And I and then I want you to understand that no matter what he does, there's going to be a group of folks that's going to show up to support him anyway. And so you 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 have if you if you have an open mind and you actually care about American democracy and you actually care about the image of the United States and you care about living in a society that's, that actually lives up to that Superman model of truth, justice in the American way, right? If you actually want those words from the Declaration of Independence to mean something, from the preamble to the Constitution to mean something, Even the Gettysburg Address, even Martin Luther King's closing refrain. If you want any of that to really mean anything, John F. Kennedy, it's called the action. If you want any of that to mean anything, then you've got to get this guy out of office. I can deal with debate because there's there's more than one road to Rome, right? I can deal with compromise and language and legislation and, you know, trying to see different perspectives. I do not have a tolerance for BS and buffoonery. I am actually allergic to it for the most part. Which is why some people wondered how I got into politics in the first place. How did, how, why would you even get involved with that? And, and there's a level of that, right? There's a level of BS and buffoonery that's out there. But this it show that's going on right now in the White House, that's un-American. 
That's not the best that we can offer. Sorry. It's not. And it's painful. It's painful to have to hear it. It's painful to have to watch it. Thank God there's an election coming. And I'm going to need y'all to, to get engaged. Because like I said, there are people that, despite what I say, despite what other people say, they down with this dude. They're going to the map with this guy. And y'all, if, if y'all don't, if y'all don't agree with that, y'all gonna have to go to the mat too. It's time. It's time to start organizing, start galvanizing, start putting some strategies together. Whatever you've got to do to get enough support to defeat this guy, y'all, y'all can do it, right? Because he's got to go. I mean, that's the only way he's going to go because you're not going to have an impeachment. So, the only way he can, he's got to be defeated. He's got to be beaten. And then we can go back to criticizing our presidents just on policy and not on just everything. You know, if you disagree with the President of the United States on a particular issue, that's one thing. And I could deal with somebody like that. But I can't deal with totally debasing, embarrassing, and demoralizing a nation. I'm not down with that at all. For your own self-grandizement your own pecuniary interest that's despicable and disgusting and God help us all if 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 more people vote for him again than any other option we got not the God they serve but the one and true God God help us. But it'll get better because you're going to make some time to make a change on the first Tuesday in November in 2020. I have faith in that. And on that note, until next time.